Hello and welcome everyone to part two of the Anderson Countdown. I'm your host Scott Shelton and this week we are taking a deep look at Wes Anderson's sophomore outing, the coming of age comedy drama Rushmore. But before we get to that, with me as always I have my Countdown co-hosts Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. Guys, how are things going? Happy playoff season, Scott. Um, NBA playoff season specifically to date this a little That's bit. That's a time it's, capsule. There we go. You're yeah, going to love, it's, love it's this the in second six day. Um, Boston just beat Brooklyn in a nail biter, which I'm very upset about. Yeah. But it's fine. Um, no complaints otherwise. Scott Harvey, how are you? Duncan Robinson, Williams. I can't, you can't call him a Williams alum, I guess, but what dropped like 30 or whatever on. Did he? Like I didn't even look at the score of that game. He's, he scored like eight threes. Yeah, I was like, Jesus. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, then, this you is know. also. Go ahead. I was gonna say this is also known as the time when I actually start paying mild attention to the NBA, but not really because like there's a game on right now and I still have Sunday night baseball on, so like that's where my priorities lie still. But like I will watch. Like I was, I was glad that the Celtics won. That was an exciting finish to that game. Um, but I really don't have a dog in the, the fight or anything uh, like it, what little attention I do play to the NBA is to the Hornets who got embarrassed. So um, yeah, whatever, but cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the teams will kind of start trying now that it's the playoffs. The time where we get to find out who's vaxxed and who isn't. Yeah. Well, I, we've kind of known that all along, but. Uh. Wasn't it a mystery who's not vaxxed on the, on the Celtics <clears throat> or do we know now still? There are like one or two answers that are like kind of accepted. I'm not going to name them here for dread of spreading misinformation, but HIPAA violations right here Um, on some like it's Jay's Jay's combed through their medical records over at the side. Yeah. Which I got access to somehow through their Spotify learning, listening history. Yeah. It's all, it all comes from Spotify. He's like the most prominent anti-vaxxer musician. Like you just look to see if they've been listening to that musician. I just want to clarify, this is not something I could or have done, just in case this is played back in a courtroom later. (laughs) Who is the most prominent anti-vax musician? That's actually a good question. I don't know. It probably is like Kid Rock or somebody. (laughs) Kanye, presumably. Well, then you're going to flag me too, then. I mean, it's it's got to be Kanye, right? Like, he he literally couldn't couldn't play at the Grammys because he wasn't vaccinated. Was that it? I don't even know. Like, I, mean, I, I know I thought he bowed I mean, out. Sure I, thought, I thought there was yeah. that whole thing with like Billie Eilish and stuff that he was like apologize. Or that was that Coachella. See, I don't even know. I, I think so. I think that he wasn't invited to perform at the Grammys because he wasn't vaccinated, but he was still allowed to come to the to the even to like to the thing because they didn't require va- they didn't require vaccination to attend. But you couldn't perform, which is which is stupid. And then he just didn't go at all. Yeah. So but there was know. something about Coachella too, because he was supposed to play at one point and now he's not. So but yeah, they had to get Swedish House Mafia and like the yeah, weekend the to weekend like collab to for him. Yeah. I mean the weekend is already there. I don't think that was an addition, but um, but but he's they teaming headlined. up with Swedish yeah, House Mafia now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I didn't even realize Swedish House Mafia were still a thing, to be honest. They got back together like a couple years ago. Like it was wow, literally huge deal in the EDM world, which I'm not a part of. But was this like was this post Avicii dying or pre Avicii dying? Because I feel like I stopped listening to post post that. Yeah. Okay, that that explains a lot. I mean, that's like that. That actually, speaking of that, we're gonna date even more precisely for people. He died on 420, uh, and I guess it'll be four years ago to the to the day, and and like two or three days after the time of recording. So that's crazy. This has been talking EDM with some like it's Yeah, the EDM <laughs> countdown uh, right before the bass drops. And why don't we drop the bass uh, when we actually talk about our topic of conversation for today? And that is, as I already <clears throat> mentioned, Wes Anderson's second film, Rushmore, released in 1998, two years after Bottle Rocket. Rushmore is directed and co-written by Anderson alongside Bottle Rocket star and co-writer Owen Wilson. But Wilson is not the star of this one. Instead, it's then teenager Jason Schwartzman who's the lead of the movie, as Max Fisher, an eccentric 15-year-old student at the elite Rushmore Academy in Houston, Texas. He attends on a scholarship and does more, far more, than his fair share of extracurricular activities with a list of clubs he's president of and or helped found longer than your arm. You might ask how he manages to participate so actively around campus. Well, that's because he commits minimal time and presumably effort to his academics landing him at the start of the film in the office of Rushmore's headmaster, Nelson Guggenheim, played by Brian Cox. Guggenheim cautions Max that this will be his final warning before expulsion, 
and disillusioned with the school, Max stumbles across a kindred spirit in the school's assembly later that day where he encounters Bill Murray's Herman Bloom, an equally disillusioned parent of several of Max's more jockey classmates. Max approaches Herman after the assembly and the two strike up an unexpected bond. And that's not the only unexpected bond Max forms over the next few weeks as he soon becomes enamored and maybe even obsessed with the new first grade teacher at Rushmore, Miss Rosemary Cross, played by Olivia Williams. And it's these two relationships with Herman and Rose that form the backbone of this coming of age film. Jay, we'll go to you first and then go to Scott as he's the only one of us who's seen this one before. What did you think of the sophomore outing from Wes Anderson? Did you think it built on what was good about Bottle Rocket to create something even better? Or were you as disillusioned with Rushmore as Max was with his titular school? I have a, I have slight regrets about my viewing experience. And that's that I didn't like have a wisdom tooth pulled right before or something. So I could be like loopy on all the drugs because it was so funny. Like it was such a good time, but I feel like I was just missing like one level of like carefreeness. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this one. It was it was so, I mean, I don't know, insane for lack of a better word. Um, and to your question about, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't super high on Bottle Rocket really at all. Like I thought there were some redeeming qualities, right? But kind of stumbled out the gate for me. Yeah, I went back down. after and you gave it two and a half stars. I was like on Letterbox. I was like, what? No, I, 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 yeah. I think I gave it like a, I mean, I have my scores. I gave it like a 5.7, I think, whatever it was. And yeah yeah shake your head as much as you want scott harvey it's not scout harvey it's not changing um i just know what that means on the jay habib scale and that's just brutal. that scale is a has always been i mean to be clear that jay i thought you were going to give it lower rating on letterbox based on a 5.8 not not higher than a 2.0 i'm kidding I'm well i feel okay whatever it, no i i really like this one it like i laughed out loud so much i like buried my face in my hands a couple of times because some things just felt so absurd and like cringe but like not a lot of it wasn't like, you know, bad cringe. It felt like good cringe. I feel Some like we could spend cringe. like hours talking about the difference here. But um, no, I, I I was like pretty pleased with this one. Glad to hear it. Scott, what did you think on your rewatch of Rushmore? Because you were notably, I think you said it on the podcast, but if not, you definitely have said it off air that you're not, you didn't love Rushmore before. Not a fan of this particular film. Did that change on this rewatch? Yeah, so I mean, I would have said it was my least favorite of the Wes Anderson films that I had seen coming into this series, but uh, not anymore. Uh, I loved it on this rewatch, and I don't know, again, I've had this experience with multiple of his movies now. Maybe it's just something about getting older, growing up, or I don't know, just my film taste having matured since when I first saw it, and I honestly don't know when I, I can't remember when I first saw it. Um but I was just really on the movie's level um, <clears throat> all the way through. I mean, I was enjoying it a lot more along the way. And then the third act in particular, I think, like the last 20 minutes is really strong and like really um, drove, home, dro- drove home for me that like, no, I actually maybe I do love this movie now. I mean, it's not just like, oh, this is better than I remembered. Um, I think. You know, uh, the the problem in the past was that Max is very unlikable. Um, and he's still unlikable, but I think I just understood the character a lot better this time because he's he's kind of a tragic figure underneath all of his, you know, uh, kind of cringy behavior again, uh, possessive behavior um, when it comes to <clears throat> Rosemary Olivia Williams's character. Um, he you you understand I think the reasons why he is this way, and also the movie I don't think lets him just get away with it. Um, which I think is, you know, very important. We've talked about this kind of thing a lot in the last year or so, Scott, with a lot of, you know, a lot of movies coming out last year, new movies coming out last year that had complex protagonists, to say the least, um, where you certainly don't agree or identify with all of their behavior. Um, And I think the question becomes, you know, is the movie critiquing their behavior enough or glamorizing it? And I don't think this movie glamorizes it. Again, there is a little bit of a sentimental kick in the last, um, you know, the last in, in the third act. But like Max doesn't really get everything he wants. Um, I wouldn't say that he's like all of a sudden this great person in the end, but he's getting better. And, you know, he's made some decisions 
he makes some decisions in this third act that show that he is maturing. And that's the other thing, you know, this he's 15 years old, right? Um, I think that is something that cannot be taken for granted when thinking about some of his behavior in the movie. Like, not that that excuses it, of course, but, um, you know, he's, he's immature and um, he doesn't understand the way that, you know, relationships necessarily work. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just found the movie a lot more emotionally um, engaging, again, especially in that third act. Um, uh, another movie where if someone was to say, like, give the usual Wes Anderson critique of like, oh, this is just, you know, pretty images or whatever, but nothing, uh, no emotional resonance to it. If, I, and I don't know if that's really um, <clears throat> claimed about this movie, but it is a common critique of his work. But I wouldn't understand it about this movie because I think there are some really deeply felt scenes in the movie. Some of the stuff with Max's dad played by Seymour Cassell, um, the barber is great. Um, I love Bill Murray's performance as well. I think this is one of his best performances um, as, you know, again, another sort of tragic midlife crisis figure. And a lot of the humor comes from that. I mean, I agree with Jay too, that on the surface level, the movie is very funny and it's, you really start to see Wes Anderson's comedic style. Um, you know, developing itself. We talked about how Bottle Rocket didn't feel that much like a Wes Anderson movie. Um, and while this movie isn't quite there, still as far as, again, visually, what we come to expect from Wes, um, it's it's a little bit closer. And I think the sense of humor is one of the things that we start to see develop. Just that quirky randomness of some of the stuff that goes on, um, especially with Bill Murray's character, like blocking the kids' basketball shots and all that stuff was hilarious. Um, but uh yeah so i i you know i absolutely loved it I, I don't know if it's like top top tier wes anderson for me but like it could be again on more rewatches like i i did a complete 180 on this movie i think it's fair to say from not not really liking it very much at all to now really really liking it and totally getting why some people feel it is like his best or one of you know at, at the very least one of his best yeah, I, I'd say I, I had an experience. I, I can't really tell yet exactly where Jay's landing on this, but what I will say is that I really enjoyed the beginning and I really enjoyed the end of this movie. And I think that I, I get, I got a little bit lost maybe in the middle, not thematically or anything, just I really felt like the the life sort of got sucked out of the movie for me for about like 30 or 40 minutes. In the middle, kind of between the bridge between you know, the, the opening act where you're meeting all the characters, you're developing all the relationships, and then sort of like after he gets expelled. I, I think that there's that period of time that like I felt like I, I it was supposed to be like fun, like the sort of like tete-a-tete pranks um, that like point on each other to like that that sort of escalate and escalate and escalate in a it, it, obviously it's not good what's happening, but it's like still funny and I, and I think that with the context of of why it was happening and um, just sort of like the links that, that they were going to it, it. I don't know. I just sort of like it, the air just felt like it got sucked out of the out of the movie in a way for me in the middle. But that's I don't want to focus too much on that because I think the beginning and the end. I mean, you talked about the first 30, 45 minutes. I think it's really, really funny, enjoyable. Um, you know, th there's something in spite of the sort of eccentricness and uh, or the or in spite of the eccentricities and the sort of off-puttingness of the character that I think it is still endearing. I mean, he's, he clearly is a kid who is smart and is driven, but just not smart and driven in the, in the way that like Rushmore as a school wants him to be. Um, and I, and I find that I find that to be endearing when someone sticks to their guns like that. And I mean, I think that might be where some of the tragicness of the, of the character comes from that you're talking about, Scott. I do think, um, I mean, we can talk about the different parts of the film, but then like when you get to the end and you talk about the stuff with the, with the dad, like after he gets expelled and sort of like the, the, the lesson learning portion, like the coming of ageness of it all, I think kicks in and talking about scenes that are really well felt. I, I think I really do agree that not only does that element come into play where you really do emotionally feel some of those, some of those lessons that Max is learning. I, I do think some of the humor uh, for me really came back as well in, in the final act. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I I did enjoy this. I thought it was 
was good. I I, I kind of I, I think I joked about this in my letterbox review. I don't know if either of you guys read it, but I, I joked that I kind of just wanted this film to be like a hangout movie from that that started in the first 30 to 45 minutes and absolutely nothing happens. In it, and he's just hanging out and doing clubs and stuff at, at Rushmore. And I think I would have been pretty satisfied with that. And maybe even would have liked it more than what we ended up getting. But <laughs> overall, I still really enjoyed it. Um, I'll talk more about the middle maybe a little bit later on. But yeah, it was, it was good overall. Jay, do you want to expand on any of your your high level thoughts or do you want to jump into some more specific stuff? Well, first, let me say, if you want to watch content that's about nothing, I got a TV show called Seinfeld that you might really <laughs> enjoy. That's what that sounded like. Yeah. Um, hey, hangout, yeah. hangout films do not have to be about nothing. I feel obligated to say that as a fan of fair, many of them. Fair enough. I, no, I, I just a, got. I just want. I just wanted this to be like dazed and confused, basically, but like Rushmore. I don't know. That's kind of what I wanted sure. with this movie. Ultimately, I mean, sure. I liked what. We, I mean, I still really like what we got. But I mean, no, Me I'm too. always in that camp, probably. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jay. God. You're fine. No, I. I think I actually. I really agree with you. Um, I think the middle thirty minutes. I think I checked. Like it was around like what, minute fifty-eight or fifty-nine, which is like if you divide it into like thirty-minute chunks, the end of the second chunk when like he's just kind of staring. Like it's like panning away from him or panning out on him and he's just like staring out looking all like devastated and his life looks like it's in ruins and i was sitting there like is the movie over because i felt like that 30 minutes like that second 30 minutes was just paced really weirdly Mm -hmm. um and again it kind of ends with that very dramatic just like well this all went to crap um i was kind of sitting there like i have no idea what they're gonna do with the rest of this movie um but then the things you mentioned you know kind of the coming of ageness talking to his dad um and just to even go like a step beyond that like kind of how he tries to make amends in the end uh, and how absurd that play is um my biggest question i think in all of this is like at rushmore i guess it made sense that he could get the budget for things like this but how did he do that like grover it's cleveland same, is cool it's the euphoria, same question man. as euphoria yeah, yeah exactly how, yeah. how in the hell did they do that play in euphoria yeah and i'm like yeah. i i don't have any clue here or there um <laughs> jay because jay hasn't seen euphoria that's why he doesn't have any clue hey that well one. because i mean he's I, getting... I think that that lends itself to my point here i still don't have any idea and i've seen yeah. this one presumably yeah. max is getting like grants from uh herman bloom to do all this stuff or whatever because he gets yeah like, I, I think that wasn't twenty five thousand or whatever to do the aquarium like in the middle of the field was it that much i thought it was less than that okay he said still... he wanted like he said he wanted 30 he and he offered he, him 2500 yeah i was gonna say i think, oh, I think that he asked yeah, for yeah, 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 maybe yeah, i misunderstood a tenth that, of that yeah. and no, he's like, and like yeah i'll take part, part of me thought that might be what's happening but also having gone to like a public school that tried to put on for like shows and stuff like it, there's no way it's that simple but whatever um no i, I also yeah. was there supposed to be something meta about that i didn't really understand what the point of the play was i mean in euphoria there's like an obvious like really on the nose reason for why it's happening but i, I mean, just like couldn't well, I, I know what, what that is um yeah like, i liked the like sh- the sh- seamus isn't that his name the irish the scottish guy or no what was his name a magnus i think is his name magnus yeah um he yeah. would have been irish if his name was seamus um yeah, I, th- I liked he got his little moment of like, you know, because he's he was just the dumb bully the whole time. And then it was like, oh, actually, he has this like secret, you know, he's always wanted, I to, always wanted to be in one of yeah. these stupid plays. And like, all but that. also, I-, I think it's showing like, again, Max, like, is actually passionate about this stuff. And like, that's one of the things that the school administrators don't seem to understand is they're like, they they think he's getting involved in all this stuff just to like distract, you know, just because he doesn't want to participate in school. But, like, the fact of the matter is, like, Max is actually sort of committed and serious about, like, these most of these clubs that he's in. They're not just, like, you know, distractions or whatever for him. Like, because he is, he, I mean, academically, he does know what he's doing. Like, the the first scene in the movie or whatever, like, he solves the equation. He's da- um, but that's a daydream, though. Isn't That's not real. Yeah, that, that that's not real. <laughs> okay. Well, I missed that part then. Oh, yeah. yeah um, no, that's, that's not real. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, I guess later on he is like getting C's and stuff on tests. But anyway, he 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 just uh, he does he he you know he expends his energy in the wrong places. Um, but like Certainly. he is serious about these you know clubs and stuff that he's involved in. So um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think that was another thing. Maybe I got out of the whole play experience, and not to mention for the plot purposes, like it brings everyone back together. Like it's a good way to get all the characters together. Um, to you know kind of 
solidify what the movie wants to do with these relationships in the end and at the after party and everything. Yeah, I, I, I'm still like just like scratching my head about like why Luke Wilson's character, like who gets this random invitation from this kid that was like super rude to him one time. Um, why he like shows up at this play because he's dumb, he doesn't know any better. Yeah, oh, Peter. Um, and I do want to say, like, even though the second act like might not be as engaging as the other parts, like, I do obviously think we need that in the movie because that is the part where, like, again, he the movie makes Max answer for his actions, like, he does end up in ruins to some extent, like, he's beat up. He, you know, has been kicked out of Rushmore, which is like the thing he obviously loves the most. Um, like, I mean, that like Herman says to him that once about Rosemary, he says, like, she's my Rushmore, like, because that Rushmore is like everything to Max. And so, we, you know, that I think we need obviously we need that part of the movie. But I, I think even the build up to that, though, like when you're when you're getting like the the back and forth between him and Herman, like even that felt lifeless to me. I, I guess that, that it like starts sure. there and it ends with the, with what you're talking about. But I mean, yeah, if you don't find the pranks to be like amusing, then like, I guess it's not going to take you very far that part of the movie. But, yeah. Cause I think it's, it's, you know, solely that, that, that segment is solely sort of relying on you finding that the, the idea of these grown, well, one grown man and one, you know, teenager or whatever doing these increasingly, di- I mean, to, to the point where it becomes like almost like trying to kill each other uh, pranks of like, you know, cutting each other's, you know, he cuts his brakes. He tries to like bring the tree down on Herman. Like, um, yeah. you know, if, if you don't find that sort of escalating series of pranks, like amusing, then I guess, you know, I, I, I think the that. pranks by themselves, like could have been amusing. I guess we're getting into the weeds on this a little bit here, but then I don't want to spend too much more time after this because it makes me sound like I'd like, I'm super negative on the movie, which I really don't. I don't mean to be, but I, I think the pr- the problem for me, and maybe this is my, maybe maybe this like builds up to like what my actual biggest problem with the film is, is that like the context that the pranks are set in, I just find really soul sucking, in a way. Um, like when you think about this like kid who is obsessed with this like woman who's a teacher at his school, and this old man who's like a terrible father and terrible husband who's also obsessed with this teacher that he knows through a 15 year old that he befriended at school and that you have them going back and forth over it. And like the, the links that they're going to, like, I, I don't know, just, it was hard to separate those two things for me. And I think that this was like the part of the movie. And, and it's not even that I don't think it's the point. I do think it is the point. But I think that with all of it, it's just like it was like a little bit too much for just like the pranks themselves to be able to carry um, the context that is. So, yeah, for for me, it just felt like it was the part of the movie that um, like 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 some of the characters just like went, they went too far. Right. Both in the in the film, like narratively, but also like meta narratively as well. Like I think it tried it tried to stretch some things too far with the with the context that it had. And I think that less might have been more uh, maybe for me in, in that situation cool so well, let's talk about jason Schwartzman. I mean, he's a 15 year old i mean he was like literally like 16 or 17 when the movie was made um so pretty impressive in that respect at least it's not like they're casting speaking of a movie that scott talked about with a complex uh protagonist last year it's not like they're casting ben platt in this role so yikes uh, <laughs> yikes, yikes i don't think I, honestly i don't think there's anything complex about that character i think he's just straight up evil yeah but, fair yeah. enough um, but no, Jason Schwartzman, guys, what, what, Jay, what did you think of his performance? You think that it was, it sort of lived up to all the other things you were saying about the movie or was, was it less than that? No, it definitely lived up for me. He, you know, I, I mean, I thought, so it's funny, we, we, you know, we, we get to the end and we start this conversation talking about, you know, oh, he's like, you know, we're like putting out all these negative qualities, but I'm pretty sure like five or 10 minutes in, it was definitely really early. I like turned to my partner and was like, I wish I had moves like this guy. And then, you know, another five or 10 minutes passed. And I was like, Oh my God, no, like my bad, my bad. Didn't mean that. I mean, the Rosemary stuff is where it gets problematic. Yeah. It gets there pretty quickly. Yeah. No, it it, it was a very quick, like, Oh God, like I should have watched, you know, just another few minutes of the movie before I uh, said anything like that. The movie said, hold my beer to you. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, 
but I mean, I think, and that, I mean, I think that just serves the point, right. That I feel like he did a great job in the role, like got me to like him pretty quickly, but then also like, you know, like became someone that I like was invested in, but also like just didn't like, it was like, wow, you were like making such terrible decisions with your life. Um, quickly perusing. I thought I'd like recognized him uh, from other roles and it's possible I had, but I also noticed, I think this is his earliest acting credit it's listed, which was like kind of cool to me at least like, Oh wow. Like the yep. first thing you did was uh, we saw, and we saw this with bottle rocket too, obviously like that was the first movie for the Wilsons. So, and, yeah. and like all three of these guys, you know, Owen and Luke Wilson and Schwartzman like are going to pop up in like basically every movie we're going to watch after this. So, I mean, the first, I don't, Owen Wilson's a co-writer on, on all of Wes Anderson's movies up through, yeah. like, I forget how, I mean, not all of them, but a bunch of them. For sure. And I, you know, was aware of the Wilsons from the last movie, like excited to see, you know, kind of how he, uh, Schwartzman develops as an actor going forward, especially because he's so young and like, uh, excited to see like how that might change. But yeah, I think, you know, he like lived up, like he's definitely the first thing I'll think about when I think about this movie, which again make, makes sense. He's the main character, but like I think that's a, a good thing, even if it's like something you kind of take for granted. Scott, what do you think of Jason Schwartzman? Yeah, he's he gives a great performance. Scott, like it reminds me of a uh Gary Valentine-esque character uh talking about licorice pizza last year. I think there are a lot of similarities between the two characters and in both movies, you know, the characters kind of start off as, uh, and particularly it's their relationship to like women. That is where the problematic um, element comes in. Um, but like in other respects, like Jake, like Jay is saying, um, you know, they're very, uh, you know, you could, you could see why people fall for their shtick, right? Because they are charismatic. They are, you know, charming. They do have, uh, you know, a something about them that like draws people in. And it's why, you know, Max is able to get away with a lot of his schemes is why Gary is able to get away with a lot of his schemes and licorice pizza. Um, but well, the, problem, know, the problematic that, stuff is not that the guys are interested in older women. It's different, but yeah. But I'm saying, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But um, what happens in Rushmore is that like he gets told um you know, you can't basically he's devoting all his energy to these clubs and stuff. And it's like, oh, you can't you can't really uh, he gets told like you're devoting too much energy to this and you need to be focusing on something else. You need to be focusing on your academics. But instead of focusing on that, he focus. you know, he turns to um, Rosemary and like all of a sudden that is where he devotes the attention that he has been giving to these other, um, you know, clubs and other organizations and stuff that he's involved in at the school. And obviously that gets troublesome when, um, you know, she's a much older woman who clearly rebuffs his advances multiple times in the movie. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think, I think he does a good job of like going to different levels here of, uh, yeah, again, he's like the charming huckster guy in the beginning, but then his persistence and like weaseliness um when applied in a different setting um you know obviously starts to grind our gears as the audience um but when he needs to go to that like darker place there in the last quarter of the movie um you know i, I think he does a good job convincing us that he has learned some kind of a lesson by the time the movie ends uh, and he has to go back for one more try to get rosemary again when he fakes the injury um so he's not completely, you know, I, th I think that's the movie's way of saying he's not completely there yet, but um, he is, you know, he's getting better. He's learning. And, you know, by the end, I felt I mean, I, I felt for him, which I think the movie wants you to, um, even though he does some, you know, kind of unforgivable things um, at certain points in the movie. So I think. The performance in that regard is very effective if I was had any sort of feelings towards him in the end. Yeah, I do think that he's a really effective, you know, mid-teens, like, you know, I, I, I thought he was older than 15. And then when they said he's 15 in the movie, I was like, oh, shoot, didn't realize that. 
but then I guess when you contextualize it as this is like a first through 12th grade school and it's it makes more sense that he's this you know well-known person all around the campus if he's been there for eight or nine years at that point but I, I think he he has that sort of like 15 year old level of confidence for like someone who just shouldn't probably be that confident. Um, you know, like the, the kind of person I'm imagining is like the, that everyone knows about and not anyone really takes too seriously because like, he's kind of a joke. I mean, that that's like, that's the kind of vibe I get from, from this character. And that's basically like at the beginning of the movie, when he walks up to Herman Bloom and like introduces himself or whatever. And, Herman Bloom, you know, in that br- that brief moment is like, oh, hey, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulder or whatever. And Brian Cox is like, he's the worst student we have here at Rushmore. <laughs> so funny. It's so funny when that happens. Um, I absolutely loved that. Love that scene. I mean, I, I love I mean, I love Brian Cox and like everything at this point. Um, so it was great to see him in this and thought he was the perfect sort of like crotchety headmaster. He plays um, a great villain. Y- yeah, Scott, I have a show for you if you like Brian Cox villains. Plus um, one to that. Talk talk with me after the podcast and I can hook you up. I, I think I believe it or not, Scott, I do know what show you're talking about. Yeah. It, it, some would say that there's there's only villains on that show as well. So you're you're in for plenty of good villains. Mm-hmm. Um but with that, but that's a different podcast, probably. But yeah, I look Brian Cox is good, but I was talking about Jason Schwartzman. And he, the I think the believability that that sort of goes into the role for me is this notion that in spite of like all the little like bullied jabs that he receives and in spite of kind of knowing like you get the sense that he like he knows what people think about him he's not disal- he's not under the impression that people think a certain way you sort of see what he his like daydream is right when he when he has that math it's not just the fact that he's solving this like ridiculously difficult math problem in, the, in that opening daydream thing it's like he's being lifted up by his classmates he's like being like thrown around in celebration like and, and just like he knows that he's not the all-star math student, he can solve that problem. He knows what people think about him on campus. And I think that he, he just brings such an air of believability about that. And, and the, the part that sort of makes it even more believable, arguably, but also introduces maybe the first elements of like cringe factor into it is that one of his closest friends is Dirk. Like, why is he like really close friends with this guy who looks like he's in like third grade? I don't know what grade he's actually in. Like maybe he's like a middle school. I don't know. He, but he just looks so much younger. Um, he's but he's Trey. like he's arguably like the one of the smartest characters in the whole movie. Like sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I think it, it presents a pretty compelling case that he's more mature than than yeah. Max is. Um, and he and Max is this character who spends this time with Dirk, who pursues you know this first grade teacher. Um, and I I just think that he's able to to give a real. Um, winning performance in that respect and he's able to not lose the character in all of the craziness that happens in the sort of middle third of the film and is able to you know in spite of me not enjoying that middle third as much able to bring it home and again have those like lessons learned in the third act that really sent like creates the full trajectory of all right this is where he started you know he got lost in the middle and he's able to fully bridge um, to the conclusion of like, all right, with everything that's happened in the film, um, what happens in the third act makes a lot of sense. And I think that he's really perfect for that role. There's other, the other central performances, Bill Murray, Olivia Williams. Uh, Bill, I mean, Bill Murray wasn't nominated for an Oscar, but he was nominated for a Golden Globe, I believe, for this performance. Scott, you mentioned already that it was one of your favorite Bill Murray performances of the ones that you've seen. Uh, do you want to expand a little bit further on that or leave it at that? I mean, no, it's just it's a perfect vehicle for his, you know, deadpan humor. And like that, again, he's another person who will go on to work with Wes in like almost every movie that we're going to watch now. So I think it's cool to see like this is where it all started, because I think it's like a perfect, perfect match. I think I think it's one of the things that Wes is so good at is finding those actors who match with his style so perfectly. And Bill Murray absolutely is that. And like, again, he nails these random comedy bits blocking the shot like when he when he goes up and like gives uh rosemary a note or something i forget or he he has the one conversation with her early on and then he just like runs off inexplicably he just like sprints yeah. off that's so um, wes anderson like that 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 moment in particular yeah. just feels so wes anderson 
Yeah, um, very funny. And what is it? He tries to like climb a fence or something at one point. Um, yeah, he's just just doing all kinds of random. Isn't stuff. it? Sorry, like, isn't that the same scene? Or maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm mixing it up. Doesn't he like run no, away and jump a fence? I want to say he jumps a fence in some other part too. Okay. But I don't you're probably know. you're probably right. Yeah, as we've already established, I don't have a great memory of every single thing that happens. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he, he's great and like. I like, I think the deadpan thing really works right as a compliment to the other performance, Olivia Williams, who is like very open, like very just sort of warm, kind, engaging character. Um, and you get why he, the like guy who seemingly has, you know, nothing in his life that like, he enjoys or that is appealing to him again it's a true like midlife crisis um you get why he would be charmed by somebody who doesn't seem to see that you know depressed side of him or whatever just kind of like treats him like everyone else and you know treats him very in a very kind and inviting way um so i thought that the relationship between the two characters made sense and that bill murray gets some good like again he gets some good emotional beats despite not being very expressive at all with his performance um talking about rosemary saying you know she's my rushmore that's a great moment um when he meets max's dad like that might be my favorite scene in the movie um i, I don't know something just about that moment of like after he's been you know brought down to size basically uh herman has and the whole movie you know max has been telling him that his dad is you know this rich dude um and then they just they meet there um and it's like this moment of honesty and herman like appreciates the honesty in a way that like he's like i'm gonna you know engage with this person and the sort of interaction between him and Seymour Cassell, um, despite them coming from different backgrounds, but like having this sort of connection in their relationship with Max. Um, it's just a really, it's a really nice moment. Like I, I can't fully explain why it works so well for me, but like I, you know, again, I got some feelings watching that. So I think the performances have a good amount to do with that. But yeah, Bill Murray's fantastic. Olivia Williams is really great too. It's a shame she didn't have more of a career off of this um you know you would have thought that this is the type of performance that would get her recognized but i've only seen her pop up in like a couple other things over the last few years so um that's unfortunate but she's really great here has yeah, really like on, the true okay. heart of the movie so. so sorry you think bill bill murray or, or olivia williams is the true heart olivia the williams heart. Yeah. yeah jay would you agree with that do you have anything else to add yeah, I would honestly echo a lot of what Scott Harvey just said. I think to go in a slightly different direction on the Bill Murray stuff, I completely agree on uh, you know what he brings to the table in terms of the more like serious heartfelt moments or the deadpan moments, despite like not doing a whole lot. He also feels like one of only a few people that I could see going back and forth in a revenge montage with a 15-year-old and not feel like it like just doesn't make sense or like what is this guy doing? Like yeah. I totally bought into just like you know, like he's not like you know the most like facially expressive person i guess but like i i bought into it and like i think you know we were talking earlier about how some of the montages maybe fell out of place or slowed the movie down but i actually kind of like the revenge montage uh you know seeing him just like destroy this kid's bike like i was like this is insane but like bill murray like you know makes it make sense yeah um, it could it could be bad but you're right that like bill murray is a good person for it because he like grounds it in a way where whereas like if you had like adam sandler or something doing this you know he would just be like screaming at the kid and like acting like a five-year-old himself but something about the fact that bill murray is wow, just, just playing adam it straight, sandler like, fodder right there Jeez, really that out of i know i'm just I'm, like why why the hate did you watch uncut doms lately or like I'm, I'm using i'm using the antithesis of what i feel like is is bill murray's comedic style and that would be adam sandler who i have enjoyed in some films but typically not his comedic stuff. I don't know. That was pretty funny. That was a comedy, right? Hmm? Sure. Life's a comedy. Um, yeah, I mean, Bill, Bill Murray, right? You're talking about, you know, famous for, of course, Ghostbusters, but you think of like his comedic roles are at least ones that I'm more familiar with, something like a Caddyshack or um, 
like Groundhog Day. I feel like those are both movies that have very similar comedic performances. And again, I'm like, I'm not the most familiar, I guess, with the other films. I mean, all of his like early films where he's doing comedic roles. I'm sure there's plenty of other ones that would be good examples as well. But I think in Wes Anderson, and this is probably the reason why they've collaborated so many times together since, I think he finds, you know, a writer who's really able to tap into that comedic essence that that he often is able to deliver, at least able to deliver like comfortably and effectively. So it, it really does feel like a good match. And I mean, time has borne that out probably in the fact that they've collaborated so many times. But Jay, you were still you were still talking about, I don't know if it was Bill Murray or Olivia Williams. No, I mean, I, I've mo- mainly made my point about Bill Murray. I mean, Olivia Williams, I, I think I'd agree, kind of is the heart of the movie. Um, honestly, it was probably like like with a little bit of time passing, I feel like I'm forgetting her performance a little bit more quickly than the rest. But like, you know, while I was watching, I was very much like, yes, like you're kind of yeah. the, the driving heart of the movie. She, she does disappear right in the, in the movie. And I think that part of at least that I was referring to where it feels like the life sort of comes out of the film. I, I think that she's largely absent in that portion because it does really focus on Max and Herman and their back and forth. Um, the pranks that they're, I mean, pranks is too kind of a word probably to say that they're pulling on each other, but the the stuff that they were doing to each other to try to get revenge. And then, I mean, really after the first act of the film, she's not in it that often, because even in the final act, she's not in it that often. She has two scenes. She has the one where Max goes to her house and and then the, the final, I guess, I don't know if it's the final, final scene of the movie, but the play. Um, she has that scene where she and Herman reconnect. Um, but I, But she does, she leaves an impression and she's often like, I mean, this is a weird thing way to describe it, but she's like the background of the entire movie, right? Because everything that happens after she becomes less of an actual, you know, forefront, forefronted character in the film, like she's certainly because on the of mind her, yeah. of every character, um, of Herman, of of Max, you know, she's top of mind for them. So I think in that way, it makes sense that you might have forgotten about the performance, but the character is something that's like, Anytime you're talking about what these what the other characters are doing, it's in the context of the fact that she exists. And I think that you know, she's able to have this sort of like spirit or aura or vibe that she brings to the role that kind of makes sense why she, she might stick in in the heads of the of these two men who, well, a man and a, a young adult at best, probably in Max, um, who are just looking for something you know, an escapist or different from what they've experienced in their in their life to this point. Um, I think she does a good job with that with Bill Murray. He probably has my favorite scene in the movie. There's this, one of the first scenes that you get with him when it, I guess it's like his son's is it like a birthday party or what? It, I'm not sure, but he's on, he gets up on the, on diving, the diving board, board. and he's like, he's smoking a cigarette and just falls into the water, which is just a hilarious image. Um, I, I really did like that moment, but yeah, he's solid. He's really good in this movie. Switching gears, maybe thinking more about the final act of the film, which I think probably has that emotionally resonant um, piece that I think all of us have have referenced in different in different parts in this. Scott, I think you had mentioned it first, so I want to go to you first. And and what exactly about this final twenty to twenty five minutes of the film really stuck with you the the most? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just seeing Max learn a little bit. Uh, you know, learn a little bit of a lesson, like we've been saying, like the the things we've kind of been like shouting for him to do for most of the movie, like he starts to get it a little bit. Like he sort of says, I want, you know, he, he orchestrates Herman and Rosemary getting to sitting, sitting together at the play. Right. So he's kind of accepted that, Hey, it's better, you know, for both Herman and Rosemary if they're together and that I'm not part of that. Um, and, what, and what do you make and, of that, actually, that sort of choice from him, that thematic and narrative choice by Wes Anderson? What, what like, what do you make of that? Do you I mean, I, it sounds like you like the decision or, and the maturity around that. But that was something that sort of stuck with me in the final act. And I'm, I'm not even sure how exactly I feel about it. But it's like it's it was interesting to me that he decided he wanted to get them back. Like he's for all intents and purposes trying to get them back together. Well, I think. I kind of think maybe what some of the third act is about is just Max deciding that he should just do what he makes him happy and not what other people are, 
you know, not not worry so much about how he's going to be perceived by other people. And that manifests itself in him deciding to do the play, right, and really commit to it and, like, go all the way with this play, which is obviously something he cares about. And, like, if you think about early in the movie when Herman and Rosemary first get together, there's that little, like, montage of the three of them just kind of, like, hanging out and, like, getting along really well and Mac like that's like the happiest that Max seems during the entire entire movie so I feel like some of his decision there in the end is maybe motivated by like hey you know obviously I wasn't with Rosemary at this time but now that I get it that she is you know not going to she's not about it right she's way too old for me and she's rebuffed me one too many times um like with some perspective he's thinking about well hey actually I still care about both of these people, about Herman and Rosemary. So I want them to be happy. And like when they are happy, which seems to be when they're together, I have also been happy in the past. So I think that is part of it, it at least for me. Um, but then, you know, again, seeing like uh, some of these like side characters get involved, like Magnus being in the play was great. And then like the fact that he sort of, that he dances with Margaret at the end, who like, uh, you know, another talking about like, a thing you're like shouting for him to do like the whole movie is just like pay attention to Margaret, like because she's obviously like very um interested in him like from the from the beginning of his time as Grover Cleveland at Grover Cleveland and, and like would actually be a good healthy you know relationship for him of, for, Maybe. with someone of his own age um, I, I, I definitely agree with the very last thing you said about someone his own age, but I'm not, we don't know that it would be healthy and good. Well, but, we don't yeah. know, but like from what we see of her, like she seems to be like a, well, I, 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 I was going to say, I guess uh -huh. it is revealed or whatever that she's also, um, been cheating. But like, uh, again, I think that's just to like, everybody is kind of a broken person to, to some degree in this movie. But, um, still, I think the fact that he is, uh, directing his attentions to someone of his own age who is is reciprocating those feelings, it seems, um, is a positive sign. Um, so that's good. And then, you know, he, he obviously reconnects with Dirk as well and starts to, like, actually see Dirk as a friend and not just as some, you know, someone he is connected with just so he can get to his mom. Mm -hmm. um, so just seeing him learn to, like, appreciate all of the different people in his life and the, you know, what he gets from all of those relationships, I think is where a lot of the emotional resonance comes in there. Jay, what, what did you make of the third act? I feel like Scott Harvey and I are on the same wavelength today about a lot of things. Um, I actually want to reference a moment that he brought up earlier, uh, but not in, specifically in this uh, little spiel where, um, he's introducing uh, Max is introducing his dad. Like, you know, this is my father. He's a barber. Like that moment kind of like hit me in the same way. A lot of the moments that you just described Scott Harvey, where it's like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, time to grow up and like, you know, be like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is maybe just like accepting of your situation or more appreciative of your situation. Um, yeah, totally. Which I feel like is a big part of growing up and not being like, Oh yeah. Like I come from money and I'm doing fine. Like, and also, like, I don't really know if this plays a role in it or not, but, like, Herman basically ignores his children for this whole movie. And, like, his children are, like, very ill-behaved and, like, you know, bad kids or whatever, probably because they don't have that, um, you know, don't have his influence in their life. And so I, I wonder if there's, you know, Max acknowledging that, like, hey, I don't want to be this person who alienates, you know, my father or whatever, I, like, his dad is a, a good, nice person, like a perfectly honest, hardworking, like good dad. And he wants to, you know, give him his due, I guess, there and be honest about, um, you know, who his father is. Definitely. And yeah, just that, that whole piece, like, you know, stuck out to me in the third act. I feel like from what we saw of him, Margaret probably deserves better. But, you know, we can, we can save that debate uh, for offline. Maybe not. That, maybe that's why they revealed that little detail about her there, uh, about her also being uh, dishonest a little bit. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I guess we. I have like, you know, 60 minutes of Max being like the worst versus like yeah, one small yeah. detail of her. So I'm, yeah, obviously. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. 
he also just like rebuffed her or you know so much earlier on that it was like come on um but yeah but again like you know what you said he like really learns to appreciate the people in his life seems to grow up a fair bit i kind of i do feel like the getting uh olivia williams and, and bill murray's characters like together as like something he did i found that like a little bit like okay but like do i really trust this like do i trust that he's doing this for like you know good reasons and like not going to relapse and try to win her back again at some point like not necessarily because i don't but part of that's because of the scene when he goes to her house as well yeah that's what i'm saying it's like this just happened you know like i don't I don't well, necessarily feel like he's earned my yeah. try, and that's fine. You know, it, it, I I still think that in in all other aspects, like the growth feels like clear and earned, and I'm like, you know, therefore in this one, like you know, you could say maybe it was like the last step, and he kind of just got there on his own, and that's great. Um, but definitely, like when I saw them sitting there, I'm like, oh, please, like don't say anything stupid at the end of your play, or like dedicate this to her, or, like you know, and like profess his love, and like I, you know, I, I didn't have the faith that he wouldn't. <clears throat> do something like that again and, and i think that's and what you're saying jay i think that's why it's a good movie because you do feel that way and it's not like if he had if it had been a complete 180 and it's like oh max is cured he's saved now or whatever he's never going to be you know old max again it wouldn't be realistic right it wouldn't be believable totally, i think you totally. still need that doubt there that uncertainty that skepticism to make it feel authentic in that final act so i think that's a positive really in the end and yeah, no, the, I, the dedication, like he dedicated it to her dead husband, right? That's who he dedicated yeah. the play to, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to his mother, yeah. which again is is part of I think why I'm able able to connect with him on some level. Why why you're able to connect with Max on some level is because he has obviously also had some grieving in his life and is still grieving probably. Um, over the loss of his mother and you know he has the typewriter and everything that she gave him and um, Mm -hmm. I think that probably is um, an influence for some of his actions during the movie too yeah I think there's just so many I mean just hearing you guys talk about it right just reminds me it's like there's so many different thematic narrative threads that are that are getting that are all tangled together you know through the first two acts of the movie not even in a negative way just like they're all there right they're all sort of dangled out and for you to look at it. And it's really impressive. I think the, all the different ways they come back and, and, you know, you could, we could talk about whether or not they all get tied up or not. I think maybe some of the point of the point of some of them might be to not be tied up to, 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 to the point of some of the things that you guys were saying just a few moments ago. But I think it was, it's really impressive. One of the things that I really like about the third act is how it's able to sort of just zero in um, on all these different things, these loose threads that have been brought up in the first you know, hour and then, and then tie them all up in some, you know, or give them, give it, give them more light in the final act. And, you know, I, I think that maybe varying success. I, uh, I wasn't, I'm still not quite sure. I, I think I agree with what Scott's saying around the notion that he just wants things to go back to the way they were before everything sort of blew up. And that's why he wants, you know, he wants Herman and Rose not to be together, but he probably just wants them to make up, right? To be friends again, to be people that would hang out again with him specifically. Um, and there's some, uh, there's obviously some unrealism in that, right? Because that's just not going to happen. Uh, and uh, the movie makes that pretty clear. The stuff with Margaret Yang, like, I don't know, like, it's weird. I liked um, her. Sure. I mean, she's in the movie for like 15 seconds um a little bit more than that but i mean she's more of an idea than anything which i think goes to to the point somewhere being made that were being made earlier as well like this notion of of someone who would be maybe somebody he should hang out with more than than rosemary um but it doesn't not super fleshed out it doesn't need to be but not super fleshed out and then yeah i mean the stuff with the father hits the hardest for me i think that's something that that scott had mentioned and jay had agreed with like that the stuff around in the Jay mentioned specifically around the moment where he talks about or he introduces his father as the actual profession that his father does. Um, I mean, that's like the really like that really just, it just feels like someone had just like gripped my heart in that moment and like squeezed it. Um, just really satisfying stuff. And you know, when you think about emotional resonance, I think I'd have to highlight that for sure. 
but the whole stuff, I, I mean, almost everything in the barber shop, you know, the, the, the scene with Dirk, um, sort of the, just the conversations between Max and his dad. I think those were all really effective in the, in the final 20 to 30. And talking of the dad too, like, I think it's, it's noteworthy that like the, the time when we finally start to see Max's character take a positive turn is like after he starts working at the barber shop really. And like, you know, connecting more with his father. So I think that is kind of the first domino in the chain that is leading to Max healing a little bit by the end of the movie. So I think yeah. that the father plays an important role in that regard too. Yeah, that's absolutely seems to be the case. Anything else before we wrap things up, guys? I mean, there, I feel like there's so many more things we could talk about, but I feel like we've done a good, at least cursory Which is impressive for a 90-minute movie. I mean, it's a 90-minute totally. movie, but there's, yeah, there's still a lot of untapped ground here, but yeah. Jay, anything else you want to bring up before we exit? I'm just going to plus one all your Brian Cox comments. Um, Great. That was, that was really fun. I almost didn't recognize him the second he appeared on screen, but the voice was just so like, oh my God, I know that voice. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd quote Succession, which is if you haven't figured it out and you listen to this podcast, the show we're talking about. Um, but none of those would be appropriate for the podcast. So I can't say anything that, that Brian Cox says in that show uh, without editing it out later. So I won't even bother. Uh, Sky, anything else you want to mention before we ask for favorite scenes? Um, I don't guess. I think, I, I mean, I like the score. That's another um, element where you start to see Wes's style coming in. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's Mark Mothersbaugh. It's not Alexander Desplat, who he would work with later in his career, but it has that same sort of twinkly, like twee almost quality to it that like, I think, you know, you're watching a Wes Anderson movie, like when you hear music that sounds like that, but also his needle drops and everything in the movie are good too. Rolling Stones popping up for the second straight movie. I, I heard they were a popular band that, you know, were around when he was growing up. So that might be allegedly. It. Yeah. All right, guys. Favorite scene or moment. Um, Scott, we're going to go to you first. Uh, well, I mean, I talked about it earlier, but like it is that scene where he introduces the his, uh, his father to Herman. But I also <laughs> also liked in the end when they were at the after party and there was like a um, they cut to like the teachers discussing the, the play or whatever. And you have Andrew Wilson, who plays the coach. And then you have. Uh, I don't even know what his role was, if he was the janitor or whoever, but like, like, hey, you know, they're talking about the play. They're like being real sincere about it. And he's like, what do you think about the play? And the guy's like, best play ever, man. Something about like his delivery of that line was like one of the hardest laughs I had. So best play ever, man. Jay, your turn. Are you ready? I am ready. I also uh, talked about uh, Max Fisher introducing his father as the barber, but to also just throw a different one out like scott harvey did um i'll go ahead and say it was the revenge montage that one like weirdly worked for me again i thought bill murray brought um a certain heart and groundedness to the role i also just like you know once i like realized i realized with him right that like there were bees that were about to like a, like swarm him and it was just like I, I was laughing like oh my god this is like attempted murder but like ha 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 it's funny like i don't know it it still like weirdly worked for me um the bees. There was a certain like lightheartedness bees. to this this particular attempted murder. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I mean, cut his brakes a few minutes later. So first, that you don't did, succeed, I, I kind of like left that out in my mind. Like in my mind, as I'm describing this, the, the I'm thinking of the bees and the running over the bike. But yeah, no, the the, the brake thing happened, and that was pretty bad. So I'm, I'll amend my answer to revenge montage minus the cutting the brake lines. I mean, he only almost killed several kids. It's fine. I'm just I'm removing that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I also talked about mine. I like Bill Murray with a cigarette at the swimming pool in true clue murder fashion. Old I did, dude. in fact, think I witnessed a murder in that scene. So it was a full was a good mood. One. It was a full mood. Uh, honestly, also, I mean, I, I had not yet um, tested positive for COVID, but that would soon become my mood. Like, 48 hours later when I tested positive for COVID after watching the movie. So, uh, you know, cigarette in mouth into the swimming pool. There you go. All right, guys, score out of 10 for Rushmore. Scott, uh, you're amending whatever score in your mind you had previously given Rushmore. What is the new score going to be? 8.8. It's, it's really great. Uh, I liked this movie a lot. I'll be interested to see where it falls on the list at the end of all this. Um, but safe to say, I'm very glad we did this series. So I had an excuse to rewatch it because I think it could even go up with more rewatches. 
Happy to give you the excuse. Jay, what are you giving it out of 10? 8.0. Solid 8. film. 5. Yeah. And 7.5 for me. Um, Jay left to keep me honest what I rated the last movie. I don't even remember what I rated Bottle Rocket. Um, but I'm giving this one I think you might have rated it a couple points higher. But I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. Okay. Well, uh, I feel like that's you the case, too, then... but I don't, I don't actually remember. We'll need to. A... I liked this film more than Bottle Rocket. Um, so whatever my score for Bottle Rocket, add a couple a couple tenths of a point above that. And that's that's where I'm at for, for Rushmore. That's really scientific stuff that we've done here on the podcast, everyone. Thank you very much. I think that should do it for our discussion of Rushmore and part two of the Anderson Countdown. Don't forget to check out all the regular episodes of Some Like It's Scott in the very same podcast feed where you found this. You can also check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Support us over there. We'd really appreciate that. But if not, totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts, where we'd love it. If you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, etc. That'll do it. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back next week with part three of our Anderson countdown. When we'll be revisiting the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I just looked it up the last of the Owen Wilson co-written movies. So I said there was a bunch of them. There's one more. <laughs> so <laughs> correcting myself before everyone dives headfirst into the comments on me, which, you know, I think has happened on every episode ever of the podcast in our history. So, oh, yeah, the Royal Tenenbaums next week. We hope you'll join us then. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Friends like you who needs friends. Friends facts. <laughs>